Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Town of Portland podcast. We are live here in the Town Tech Educational Podcast Studio at Portland High School. And uh, believe it or not, this is going to be our episode number 28. And with us is uh, our first select one in the studio, Ms. Susan Bransfield. And on the line, we have our Chatham Health Director, Mr. Russell Melman, as well as our Fire Chief slash Public Works Director, Mr. Bob Shea on the line. And so uh, welcome all and uh Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving and socially distanced, and uh, you know we'll go from there. So, uh, Susan, let us uh, let's start it off with you, right. and we'll go from there. Good to see you here. Uh, thanks for hosting once again, Dave. It's good to be here. Um, there's some uh, things that we're doing at Town Hall to keep everyone healthy. Uh, we we are still able to conduct business at Town Hall. If you come to the door, there's someone greeting you and will able to assist you in getting whatever your assignment is at Town Hall. Our senior center remains closed due to COVID restrictions. Our park and rec department is busy and also working to spread holiday cheer. Um, I spoke with Nate Foley this morning and he is working closely with our Economic Development Commission, Mary Dickerson, and also working with our senior center, through uh, Carol Ravicki and Mary Pont. And a couple of things, Dave, that, that is kind of fun. Uh, if you have a house that's decorated for the season, lit up and otherwise ready to enjoy, um, call uh, the public, uh, excuse me, call Parks and Rec and speak with them because they're making a list of lights, let's call it. And it's going to be uh, a trail of lights and they're going to come up with a map. They're working with Claire from the uh, Portland Historical Society. They're going to have a map. They're going to make it available virtually on our on our website. You'll be able to go around and see some of these houses that have voluntarily said they're ready for you to come view and vote for the one that you like the best. And there'll be a prize. I guess they got these really nifty trophies that are kind of ugly sweater trophies, um, nice. uh, something fun. And uh, they're also, uh, the prize is also to win a season's pass to what we hope will be a great um, concert series at our riverfront come the summertime. And it also gets us out to see our neighbors in a way that is COVID safe and fun and enjoy some of the festivities. They're also going to be looking at uh, visiting some of our seniors who aren't able, again, because of COVID, to be out and about the way they love to be. And our, our plan is to decorate one of our vans. And uh, Park and Rec and the Senior Center staff are going to go around and wave to people. And also, for those that would like a little um, holiday cheer, they have a cookie or some type of a product that they're, they're going to be dropping off. So uh, Park and Rec is bringing, as they always do, some um, healthy ways of enjoying outdoors, enjoying the ability to recreate, as well as do some, maybe even some exercise if, if you're out there uh, walking along and, and seeing all those lights. So look forward to that. There should be more on our website, as well as Facebook yep. on that. And uh, just uh, call if you have some questions. Call the Senior Center or call Park and Rec. It's a fun Thing. And I, th I think, Dave, we need a little fun these days. Yes. And, uh, you know, just an FYI, we did uh, get the information on the 
I think this is going to be the, the Christmas light fight, as they have on TV or something like that. <laughs> I like but, that. <laughs> but we uh, we did get that information up on the website, so uh, you can click on our website and you can see uh, all of the pertinent information and how uh, you can sign up if you're willing to do that. I know a lot of people are putting in uh, a lot of time and, yeah, and energy yeah. Uh, yeah, on yeah. Uh, decorating their houses. And uh, you're right, I think we need a little fun and a little enjoyment and, uh, you know, just to... Uh, Keep the spirit light. The other thing that our Economic Development Commission uh, has proposed, they're going to do a pilot project in January, whereby if you spend $25 at one of our restaurants and you keep your receipt and identify your contact information, there'll be a drop-off place for you to place that. And then there'll be a drawing every week in January for a free uh, certificate to go get another $25 worth of food uh, for the lucky winner. So again, we're promoting our businesses and making sure that you can enjoy the season in a safe way. Um, so we look forward to some of these good things that our staff are busily preparing and, and preparing for us. Absolutely. Uh, that's uh, sorely needed. You know, I think uh, we're living in a different world these days and, uh, you know, we're, you know, getting through the best that we can. And uh, I think we're all getting COVID fatigue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. they're calling this restaurant deal uh, 06480 to go. Um, so go out and eat in Portland, and then I guess you go out and eat again. There Win. you go. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Why so not? That's the updates for now. Thanks a lot, Tim. Great, Susan. Thank you so much. And again, thanks for uh, participating in every week in our in our podcast. Very informational. I think uh, our listeners look forward to that. So thank you. Moving on, uh, we would like to roll into our COVID update. And uh, with us, as usual, who's been a uh, a frequent flyer on our Portland podcast is our health director from the Chatham Health District, uh, Russell Melman. So, Russ, again, thanks so much for participating and uh, give us the good news, bad news, and whatever news. <laughs> sure. Well, thank, thanks for having me on again. Um, we'll start with the good news. Uh, the good news is that we seem to be on the cusp of the FDA um, approving uh, for emergency use, one, and then perhaps a second COVID-19 vaccine. The first is likely to be the one manufactured by Pfizer and the second one manufactured by Moderna. Um, I think as we, as we record this today, uh, the FDA is meeting to discuss this very thing. So um, for all I know, they're going to release uh, their findings while we're recording this. So we do, expect, uh, we do expect to hear from the FDA very soon on a COVID vaccine. And then there is a rollout plan that is um, in development. The Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices has made some recommendations about who should be among the first to be offered the vaccine, um, and that includes people who are frontline healthcare workers, people who work in hospitals, long-term care and assisted living facility staff and residents um, seem to be uh, the, the, that first group. And then we will all, that will also include medical first responders, um, and then the next group may be um, other municipal critical workforce groups, you know, public works, uh, water and sewer, um, and non-medical first responders, and perhaps even teachers and administrators. So we're, we're looking forward to when we get a vaccine and when it becomes widely available. But we really don't expect it to be widely available for the general public for a few months. We're probably talking late spring, early summer before you can just call your doctor up if you're anybody and, and get a vaccine if you want it. So we're, we're quite a ways away from there, but, but I, I, I'm starting to see at least a light at the end of the tunnel. That's great. So, so that, that's good. 
Um, uh, the bad news is we are right now in the thick of a pretty substantial uh, winter surge of coronavirus infections in the state of Connecticut, and that's, um, you know, locally, to bring it local in Portland, we're seeing a few dozen cases every week, um, which is quite a bit. The case rate in Portland currently stands at 41 and a half cases per 100,000. Those numbers are going to be updated today. Um, I expect the numbers to look worse this report than they did previously. We did see a very brief, I'll call it a flattening of the curve or even a slight dip last week in cases, um, and that was um, mostly because I think people weren't getting tested over the over the Thanksgiving holiday, and so it takes a while for people to get tests and get test results and get those results reported and then be included in analysis. So we did actually across the country see a, a dip or a flattening of the curve in the previous week, but now we're starting to see that pick back up again, probably because people who got sick over the course of the holiday are now getting tested. So I expect to see our case rate um, jump in the state and and locally as well, which is, is not good news. Um, I want to bring some perspective here, because I do hear a lot of talk about, you know, fatalities and then hospitalizations. Um, those were down for quite a while, and now we're seeing an acceleration in hospitalizations and fatalities again. Um, there was a, quite a while over the course of the summer where we only had a couple dozen people statewide hospitalized, and we had a couple days where we had zero fatalities from coronavirus infection, which was great. Right now, we have over 1,200 people hospitalized with coronavirus infections, and just yesterday we had 43 fatalities. So overall, over the course of the pandemic, we've had almost 5,300 fatalities. And to bring some perspective to that, um, that's over the course of not, around nine months since March. And that's in um, the state, Russ? If you think about the leading causes of death in the state of Connecticut, every year in the state of Connecticut we see around 6,500 deaths from cancer, all cancers combined, and around 7,000 deaths from heart disease writ large. That's over the course of 12 months. So if we continue on this pace with seeing a few dozen fatalities every day, I expect us to be up, up there near you know what we see for cancer and heart disease every year. So... For everybody who's listening to this and thinking that masks are annoying um, and you're tired of social distancing, if you could prevent cancer deaths or if you could prevent heart disease deaths by wearing a mask and not and, and social distancing, you know, would you? You know, probably everybody out there knows somebody in their life who has died from cancer or heart disease. And how many would go back and just wear a mask if they could prevent that from happening? So that that's where we are. You know, it's not a it's not a, a small issue. It's a very large issue, and um, so I just want to emphasize the importance of wearing masks, of social distancing as we approach. We've just passed one holiday. I expect to see a significant jump in coronavirus infections as a result. We're heading towards two other major holidays, Christmas and New Year, and I want to just reemphasize that it's important to just. Celebrate those holidays if you can with just the people in your household. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's just it's really important, and I know it, it's dystopian and it's really sad. And we will all you know we all lament the fact that we are in this situation. But lamenting the fact that we're in this situation is different than ignoring it or dismissing it. So right, um, it's really important to really keep up with those infection prevention. Approaches that we know work, washing your hands, staying home when you're sick, not going to school or work when you're sick, um, wearing a mask, social distancing. Great. You know, Russ, this is Susan. Um, those number of deaths, um, which I hadn't really 
paid attention to it, and now you're mentioning it. That that's the size of a small town in Connecticut. I mean, between 5,300 and then you said 6,500 people who die from cancer. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really shocking and very uh, very important to follow all the all the rules that that you so well told us about. Yeah, it's a lot of people, and I, I still hear a lot of people saying, well, it's the people who are dying are mostly old, or they have comorbidities. Well, it's the same with heart disease, and in some cases, cancer. So nobody would look at your loved one or somebody in your family or a friend who lost somebody to cancer and say, well, they had other things going on and they were old. So I don't know why we continue to hear people say that when it comes to COVID-19. I know, I know. Well, just in town this, this past week, we had a... Uh uh, a gentleman that was uh, that I knew very well, okay, that, that passed away. He was only 45 years old. Yeah. yeah. So it's um, you know it it's not just affecting the older uh, you know the folks as far as that goes. So mm-hmm. now I- I- as far as the uh, the vaccine, um, I, I assume the the district has an implementation plan as far as uh, uh, you know when the vaccines get delivered and how that's going to be uh, you know uh, disseminated. Yes. So, so we've had we've been planning for pandemic influenza for for you know two decades at this point, and unfortunately, some of those assumptions are different. You know, right now with the pandemic that we're dealing with, where people are really effective at transmitting it when they're asymptomatic, because bringing people together in an indoor space for some massive clinic is just not advisable right now. And that is exactly what our plans were for flu. Um, and so I think. We're, re, we're revisiting those, and the state is, is basically taking an all-hands-on-deck approach. They're not right now saying it's going to be local health departments who are going to be principally doing mass vaccination clinics. The federal government has contracted with CVS and Walgreens to provide vaccine to long-term care and assisted living facilities. The state of Connecticut is approaching our um, acute care hospitals, and they are charging them with vaccinating other health care providers in their catchment area, and that will include medical first responders. Um, local health departments will be responsible right now for vaccinating, looks like, our school staff and municipal employees. And once the vaccine is widely available, we will probably be running some public clinics. Um, but the plans are really in flux right now. Depending on the day and depending on who you're talking to from the state, you might hear something different. So I think that just reflects the the shifting um, nature of doing vaccine clinics from flu to, to COVID-19, the, the, the fact that we have some vaccine available that has to be kept at minus 70 degrees Celsius or less, um, that's the Pfizer vaccine. So infrastructure for cold chain management for that vaccine in particular is extremely challenging. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back after our brief reprieve of a fire alarm here at the the high school. <laughs> Always uh, never a dull moment. So we're back here at our uh, Town Tech Educational Podcast Studio. And again, on our line, uh, Mr. Russ Melman from the Chatham Health District and Mr. Bob Shea of our um, Public Works and Fire Department. So welcome, guys, back on the line. Thanks for calling back in. And Susan and I were outside, uh, freezing, waiting for the fire department to get here, and we just got the all clear, so we're back in the studio. So. Well, it's 47, better than yesterday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, all right, Russ, where, were, where did we leave off before we were so rudely interrupted? Uh, I think I was just uh, <laughs> finishing up talking about the vaccine, which, which is going to be trickling out, and which, you know, I think I was saying it's going to be an all-hands-on-deck approach, where... 
you know, anybody who um, can give a vaccine basically uh, is going to be asked to play a role. That might include uh, paramedics, EMTs, veterinarians. Uh, I think the governor's executive order actually specifically listed podiatrists, which I found interesting. Um, and, and so anybody, I think the governor has basically said, if you have the capability or some basic training in administering a vaccine, um, intramuscular vaccination, then, then you, you can do it. Um, that, that also includes pharmacists. And to this point, I think the state law has said that pharmacists, for example, can vaccinate people 18 and over. I think the state has now relaxed that to include children as young as 10 years old for pharmacists to administer vaccines. And um, the federal government has actually contracted with CVS and Walgreens to do all the vaccination for our long-term care and assisted living facilities. So uh, if you're a nurse listening to this call right now, they are hiring. <laughs> they wow. are hiring uh, probably quite a few individuals to support that effort because it's, there are many tens of thousands of individuals who both work in or reside in long-term care and assisted living facilities. It may be hundreds of thousands just in the state of Connecticut. So uh, if you think about how many people it's going to take to get shots into all those arms, it's a lot more than what you might find right now at the Minute Clinic at CVS down the road. So wow. um, I think we are really looking for, and Chatham Health District may at some point be looking for, you know, uh, volunteers to step forward to support our, our vaccine clinics. Wow. So, so we'll look for that to come out at some point when we take possession of vaccine and start back, start offering it. You know, it's interesting, Russ, when you mentioned uh, veterinarians, I was just, maybe you don't know, is, is, is it possible for, for pets to contract the uh, coronavirus? <laughs> so what, we've, what I've heard is just some, a few case reports of animals um, not only uh, contracting the virus, I mean, contracting the virus, but not necessarily getting sick from it, but also actually transmitting it to others. But the... Um, I think the question remains to whether or not the transmission was from mutual close contact, as in the, the pet was simply an object that was handled by both the infected individual and the uninfected individual, and that's how transmission occurred. I don't think it's been demonstrated that pets have, you know, through their respiratory secretions, for example, transmitted the virus. But I think the recommendation is if you live with somebody who's sick with COVID-19, they should not be handling their, your pets. Ah, okay. Um, so, so you should, you know, um, be cautious in that. I think right now it looks like most of that risk is from you're sick, you're wiping your nose and coughing into your hands, and then you're snuggling with your dog, and then your dog leaves your presence and goes and jumps on your child's bed or, or whatever, and, and they handle and touch your respiratory secretions in that way. I think that's the greatest risk, not necessarily that dogs or cats are going to get coronavirus infection and then... Um, spread it through their respiratory secretions directly to you. Okay. Well, that's uh, when you said veterinarians can administer the virus. I says, hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, they they give shots to pets. So, sure. Yeah. Um, absolutely. You know, I, I I'll I would let any vet or EMT or paramedic if they haven't dentist gone to, the dentist dentist dental mm -hmm. hygienist so long as they're trained to administer. I think. Um, epinephrine, they can administer the shots. So there's a long list of people, and I would let any one of those individuals give me an intramuscular injection, even if they've never done so before, oh. um, because it's, it's that important, and I think it's probably not a particularly difficult thing to do. You wipe down the site with the alcohol wipe. You let it dry for a few seconds. Somebody else draws the syringe up for you, your vaccinator assistant. You pinch the deltoid muscle, jab it in there, and inject. 
So right. um, for anybody who's hesitant to get the shot because they're worried about the individual administering it, I, for one, am, am not. I would get it from just about anybody on that list. Great. Great. All right. Great, Russ. Thank you so much. And again, uh, uh, and again, those numbers are, 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 are being updated today on the state level as far as I know? Yeah, I think 4 o'clock is usually when the updates come out each week. Um, so so uh, people can look for that, and you know, we circulate that report um, to a lot, well, quite, quite a long email list I've got going now at this point. But you can always go to ct.gov slash coronavirus and click on the data tracker link, and it will take you to where that report is. Great. Russ, I had a question. Um, sometimes uh, res residents will call me and they want to know how many cases total since the start of the pandemic Portland has. And I don't have that information. I don't know whether that is available or not. It, more yeah, curiosity. I actually might have it right here. Um, okay. Just give me a second. It, it is available. It is available on the ct.gov um, it's a little uh, hard. To, I, it's a little, yeah, it's a little hard for me to find it quickly. But um, if we had that information, I'd be happy to post it so people would have an idea. It's uh, you can look at look look it up and maybe send it forward, and and uh, we'll try to yeah, put it on, yeah, no, on the website. Yeah, no in, in Portland, um, there have been 247 cases total. Wow. Since the wow. Start. And I want everybody to keep in mind for a moment that. In March and April, the only people who were being tested for coronavirus were people who ended up in the hospital very sick. Mm -hmm. So this is a pretty big underestimate. Now, you know, case, actual case numbers and case rates look much worse now, in fact, than they did during March and April. And I believe it's simply because of the testing issue. I think if we could go back in time and have as robust a testing um, infrastructure as we do now in March and April, we would have seen case rates that, if not mirror or mimic what we see now, if not worse. So um, I think it's an undercount and a pretty sizable undercount. Right. But it's still a, a good number. Two and a half yeah. percent, yeah. Does yeah. that not include those that are residents of nursing homes? Is that now separately reported? So yes, the state does now pull out. They, they report um, only community cases and they have a separate report for um, residents of nursing homes and long-term care. Um, whether the cumulative case count includes residents of long-term care, that I'm not sure of. Okay. Okay. But I believe the state is now removing long-term care residents from their reporting and doing that separately because it does not convey the degree of risk to the community when you talk about an ICE, you know, on, on one facility or two facilities, especially congregate living settings. So they're also mm -hmm. excluding... There are some towns that have um, prisons, for example, sure. and prisons are having a pretty substantial outbreak as well in most prisons, so um, those are also eliminated. So if it's a congregate living setting, it, it is taken out. Okay. Thank you so much. Yep. All right, Russ. Thank you for the, uh, again, uh, plethora of uh, excellent information, so that, that, that's super. So we'll, we're, we're going to do this again, I'm sure, uh, yep. as far as that goes. So without any further ado, Bob, we're going to throw it back over to you. Uh, as far as in relation to our, uh, uh, on the EMS side, as well as our public works side. So, Mr. Robert Shea, it's all you. Thanks, Dave. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'll just stay on. I'll just transition right into fire. We, um, protocols are still in place for dispatch. Uh, we, they've been extended as they have since, um, you know, the original uh, protocol change in uh, April. 
um, of last uh, this April. So we are still running on the same dispatch protocols where we're EDMing, and we the fire department's only really responding to those critical medical um, issues that we need to. Uh, most of the other um, transports um, and miscellaneous uh, calls for services being handled by um, hunters. So basically, it's the paramedic level that we would respond when the paramedic, paramedic uh, you know, responds. But you know, the back pain or um, you know, leg pain calls and, and miscellaneous things, we're still not going. And the reason for that is to um, save the possible exposure of our membership because not only do we do medicals, but we have to be there to protect property and life in relations to fires, motor vehicle accidents, and stuff like that. So it has worked. Um, we are still following a very strict precaution at our firehouses. I've shut the firehouses down to what little training that we were trying to start to get back into. Um, our monthly meetings are no longer being held. Those are being done um, via conference calls if needed and some Zoom uh, work uh, on the company levels that's being handled by some of our captains, which is excellent. Um, there's some online training that members are continuing to do. Um, they're finding time that they have to do those on Tuesday nights. So, you know, we've offered a lot of things out there to try to keep them engaged. That's the difficult part. We're used to training all the time. We certainly don't want to get complacent um, in what we need to do. We need to stay at the top of our game. Uh, because most of our calls come in when we have to be woken up, so we don't want to start to have to think too much. Um, so we're trying to do that. So I think all in all, we're doing well, um, and we've had some really good um, we've had some really good support from our residents, and and that means a lot. So we'll continue to do that. Holiday delivery. We've been doing this for probably for over 10 years, uh, where families that are in great need are selected and. We provide donations that uh, we provide gifts for Christmas that are donated by our residents here and our businesses. So we're going to continue to do that at a different scale this year. Uh, we're not going to be able to go into the homes, and we used to decorate trees. We're going to try to just do a drive-by and leave our um, donations and gifts with the families that have been selected and um, move on. What we are planning is a holiday parade around town to spread a little cheer, which we feel is very needed. Uh, we're developing a route in town to try to stay on the main routes downtown, including some of the main routes up in our rural area of the country. And we will publish that route so that residents can make their way out if they're um, off one of those routes and want to sit with their family in their car and uh, see the apparatus drive by um, just as a, a way of our department saying we understand uh, we're going to try to do what we can, and we'd like to share some of that holiday cheer that we usually do as part of our holiday delivery because we usually span out a little farther, but we want to – it's just something that our membership would like to do. So we'll, we'll get that route published out to our residents. We're going to do it on a Sunday afternoon, feeling that most people are home, and uh, we'll try to do it you know, before it's very dark so that um, those who have young children – you know, can get back home and, 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 and take care of what they have to do. So we'll, we'll get that information out. Sure. I think we uh, did put an announce or uh, a posting on the website as, as far as that goes. And I think uh, um, people that would like to donate uh, an unwrapped toy uh, can drop it off. We have the boxes uh, at the town hall. Uh, that And I think I think the deadline is, is the 11th or 12th uh, for that. But 
Yeah, that's uh, that's another um, program um, that you know Susan and staff has been maintaining here, and it goes over to the food um, um, food bank, and and you know there's been wonderful donations. Our building staff uh, has been you know moving donated toys every day, so it's just a wonderful thing to see the community is out there still supporting those in need, and there's so many more now, certainly due to this virus that um, you know are having some trouble. So we want to certainly help them. So on the public work side, uh, you know, we continue to do what we can to keep our buildings safe, um, not only supplying PPE, but making sure that we're sanitizing all our buildings in the morning before employees are here. Everybody is obeying by the mask rule. Uh, and, you know, we're doing our best. Um, it's difficult, uh, but, uh, you know, we're doing a good job, and Susan has certainly set up some good policies and procedures that everybody seems to be following, and it seems to be working. So our staff is committed. Um, difficult um, to get out to all the buildings with the staff that we have, but we have put time aside uh, to make sure that that's done early in the morning uh, to assure that you know the buildings are sanitized and the staff is coming in, and then they can continue to do that work during the day in their own areas. So that's worked. Uh, the wind... Um, has been something uh, over the past few months. Uh, these windy, rainy storms um, have continued to create some issues for our public works department related to trees. Uh, not as much power, which is great, we're grateful for, but certainly trees that are still coming down and blocking roadways. So we're out continuing to do that. We've been very lucky over the past few windstorms and rainstorms that we've had to not have too many issues. Uh, certainly nothing that we're blocking roads for time. So commend the staff for getting out there and handling those issues quickly to make sure that our roads are open and safe and we can get emergency vehicles through those areas if we need to. Our leaf uh, pickup is complete. It went uh, really without a hitch this year. Uh, thank you to the residents who obeyed uh, our, our request to have those uh, leaves out to the curb by a certain time. And uh, they did so, and we were able to get that stuff cleaned up uh, to our transfer station, and now we're working on mulching those areas up there before uh, the weather gets too cold. The nice. brush that we picked up from the storm has been removed, which was an unbelievable amount of brush. So that has been removed from the facility, and now we're back uh, to capacity to receive brush as needed. Um, so that's a good thing. Our salt shed uh, improvement has been completed. We're, we're working with DEEP and um, the STEEP grant that we had for a portion of that. Uh, to kind of close that out. So that's a huge improvement that I'm really proud of and, and proud of the work that our Public Works Department did to assist our vendor to get that area secured and the area around it. And I think it's, it was long, long time coming, so it's one of those projects that I'm really happy to see complete. We're back to operation in the building, and we're ready for storms if they should come. Our connectivity grant is complete as well. We were able to add another 1,200 feet of sidewalk on the eastern side of Main Street um, by uh, a wonderful bid from our contractor and the state providing that additional um, lenience to, to use the grant to, to continue that and finish the sidewalk where it actually ends on that side of the road. And by doing so, we were able to design and change the stairs that were at the church at Church Street to a much safer um, walk up a few steps uh, to that area, and then we moved the ADA compliance, which really didn't exist there because of that, up the road a ways where it's uh, it's smoother, it's flatter, 
Um, so there's like a double crosswalk there. So we can get people that need assistance across that area as well safely, and if they need to use or would like to use that sidewalk on that side of the road, now they can um, with a five-foot sidewalk and certainly all the safety stuff that's that's needed for them. So that's a huge improvement there. Super. Yeah, so all our other departments are working hard, sewer and water. Um, levels are back um, at the well. It's running um, as high as we can um, to offset our need. Uh, and uh, the drought looks like we've kind of come to the end of that. I know private wells take some time uh, to come back, so hopefully you know, the weather is helping our residents, those who have private wells as well. Yeah, I think this week's uh, or this past week's rainfall has basically, I think, eliminated the, uh, uh, the the drought deficit that we've had in the state. So we're, I think, back even bored now. <laughs> yeah, we are, and uh, you know that's a good thing because you know August in the beginning of September was very it was Brutal. very difficult for a lot of towns, especially in eastern Connecticut. Sure. And what's the latest now on the on the bridge, Bob? I know they're planning to uh, have the uh, uh, traffic patterns changed on the bridge in the next week or so. They are. I have a status meeting tomorrow at 10 o'clock with DOT, um, as well as um, the contractor, Mohawk. Uh, we'll be discussing the transfer of lanes, which is going, I believe, to happen next week. The tentative date was the 17th, but it might be moved up a few days because they seem to be ahead of the game on uh, you know what they've done for construction, uh, so I think they'll try to get those lanes moved uh, as soon as they can with the weather that we have, and those lanes will um, you'll no longer be um, approaching traffic head on now. They'll be working on the center span of the bridge, so you'll be traffic uh, north and south will be pushed over to the far lanes. So with that said, um, I guess you know. If if you look at it, uh, the head-on type of accidents um, will be eliminated, but the rear-end accidents won't. <laughs> so we certainly need to, in which most of those are that we go to, we certainly need to keep enough distance and slow your speed down to prevent those as well as injuring any workers that may be on the bridge. Great. I think that's uh, that's good news. They're moving along great, and uh, progress is looking good. Um, so that that's a great thing. So, all right. Uh Anything else there, Bob? I think uh, that's it. No, there's a lot. We can talk forever, but I think those are the key points. And as always, um, you know, if anybody has any questions on things that are, you know, happening in town or needs any information, our office is here. So feel free to call. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Bob, for all your hard work. And, uh, you know, keep up the good work both on the uh, fire and EMS side and as, as well as the public works side. Uh, thank so. you, Dave, and thanks for your help during the day as well. Uh, no worries. No worries. And, uh Russ, if you're still there, thank you so much for uh, all your help and input uh, that you and your staff provide out in the uh, the, the Chatham Health District uh, as well. And uh, I, I know there's going to be a special Board of Education meeting tonight uh, for and because uh, right now the the high school and I think uh, our district for for the most part is. Uh, uh, remote learning and i think they're going to be making a decision on what uh, the status is going to be coming up next monday so uh I'll stay tuned for that i'm going to try to get charles in here on a podcast tomorrow uh to get that information out to uh to all our listeners so again thank you so much susan yeah, yeah. thanks dave i just want to echo your thanks to uh russ and also to bob it's a lot of good work that's being done and we all appreciate it fellas thank you so much so great. Um, so Russ, uh, again, 
put it in your uh, uh, food for thought uh, on the your Chatham Health uh, podcast. Uh, you can have your own podcast. <laughs> well, one day when uh, when COVID nineteen is more in our rearview mirror than it is right now, I'll. Uh... We'll have that conversation, Dave. Absolutely. That would be great. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. All right. All right, guys, that wraps it up for our episode 28 here in the Town of Portland uh, podcast. And I'm your host, Dave Kosminski. Thank you so much. And uh, on behalf of all of us here, uh, stay home, stay safe, wash your hands, and please wear your mask. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Dave Kosminski. Please tune in every week for new and relevant conversations about the Town of Portland. You can find us at portlandct.org or at YouTube forward slash Town of Portland. And now, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please consider subscribing and sharing with friends. This podcast was produced by the Town Tech Educational Partnership Program, which is a partnership between Portland High School and the Portland Town Hall. If you're looking to start a podcast for your business or organization, check out towntech.org forward slash podcast to learn more.